I don't know if you remember what an abstract noun is, but I've used a lot of them this season. Some abstract nouns are the big things we talk about, like happiness and greatness and compassion and authenticity. The thing about abstract nouns, though, is they can be used really ambiguously, so I can throw it out there, but it might not mean a lot if I don't explain exactly where I'm coming from. And I've noticed that some of the most influential people of all time, not influencer like Kylie Jenner style influencer, but intellectually influential, they chose to distinguish their values from societies. I wanted to take this opportunity to use this 10th and final episode as my editor's notes, if you will, to talk about my values and more specifically what I meant when I was using those abstract nouns, particularly the two greatness and happiness. So don't go anywhere because the final episode of season one of Dropout University starts right now. Welcome to episode 10 of Dropout University, a podcast about learning what they don't teach you in school, and that's finding happiness on your own terms. My name is Josh Gervanik, and I dropped out of college because I was tired of constantly putting off the life I wanted just to get my degree. In the meantime, I wanted to share some of the most valuable lessons I've learned along the way. I mentioned this early in the season, but I think it's worth saying again. I believe the world could honestly, I'm sorry, this might hurt your feelings, but the world could honestly care less if you're happy. Ultimately, I think what the world wants out of you is someone wants your money and someone else wants you to be making them money. And this is not to say you should treat everyone negatively or think about the world as a completely lost place. I just believe that before anyone gets to know you, the world outside is going to see you as a dollar sign. It was Nietzsche who said, a moral system valid for all is basically immoral. Think about that for a second. A moral system valid for all is basically immoral. What Nietzsche is saying here is, if you have a moral system or if you see a moral system in the world that is so general that it could be adopted by everyone, then it's not actually morality at all. This brings us to a truth that I've learned firsthand in my life. Your morals will look different than probably every single person around you. It's not something I've learned just by observing. It's something that I've felt in my life at all different stages. You see, I grew up in an extremely conservative hometown. I went to Catholic school from kindergarten until seventh grade, and I grew up in the Catholic church from when I was born until around the ninth grade. All of these influences had a very rigid, a very strict idea of what morality was supposed to look like. But I felt like I never fit, like I was a puzzle piece that had a round edge where there was supposed to be a square hole. My values were always more progressive, more extreme, and more people-based and more present-based in this moment than in what had happened over hundreds and thousands of years 
then those influences that I was a part of, the community I was growing up in, the school I was going to, the church I was a part of, these all have a big role in how we develop our morals growing up, right? So I wanna start just by telling y'all a short little story where this kind of came to a head. So I used to work at this job with one of my best friends and I remember we were worried about the quality of the business really going down. We felt like people weren't caring the same, the other employees weren't caring the same. We had just gotten really busy, so it was great for the business, but we felt like quality was rapidly declining and that we weren't representing the same product anymore. And we had a genuine investment in this business. We knew the people who owned it and who ran it, and we really wanted to go to bat for them. I remember it all came to a climax one Friday night, we're having a conversation in the parking lot and we've been talking for maybe around an hour when the conversation comes to a point where the owner looks at us and says, well, if that's how it is, then you should just care less. And that suggesting that the solution to our frustrations with everything that had been happening was to be less invested in what was going on emotionally. And if I remember correctly, my friend immediately shot back and said something along the lines of, that's just not who we are. Because it didn't align with our morals to come into work and to simply care less. That's not the kind of guys we are. No matter what situation we're going into, we're going to be fully invested in whatever's going on in front of us because we believe in always giving as much as we have to offer. Another example I love to talk about when I'm talking about morality would be giving money to people experiencing homelessness or people who you meet on the street when they're asking you. When I first moved to Atlanta, I came from the suburban ideology of you should never ever, even if it's just a single dollar, give money to anyone who you don't know because of course they're going to go straight from taking that $5 out of your hands, walk to the other corner that's a little more dimly lit than the corner that you were standing on and buy some drugs because they just randomly appear. Now let me start by saying I'm not advocating for you to give money to people experiencing homelessness. I'm not advocating for you to give money to every person who asks because I don't give money to every single person who asks. But when I moved to Atlanta and started actually working with the houseless population of Atlanta, I came to the decision that this blanket stance of never giving money to people who ask came from some kind of moral higher ground. It came from this moral superiority complex that I had developed, right? Because when I really broke it down, what I felt like I was doing was telling that person that, yes, I probably do have $5 in my wallet, but it would be better off in my wallet, even though I already have a place to stay, even though my bills are paid for, even though I'm not going to be cold tonight, because I obviously know how to spend my money better than you, or else you wouldn't have ended up in this situation. And maybe you think that's a reach. That's okay. But to me, every time I looked at someone who asked me for money after that, I thought about what it would be like if I was in their shoes. And should it really be about how much I agree with the way that they spend their money and the way that they're choosing to cope with the incredibly extenuating circumstances that they've met in life? Or would it be more important to show them a moment of compassion because all I would be looking for in that situation, if I was sleeping under a bridge, 
would be just a little bit of humanity. You know, I talked to this guy one time when I was working with a homelessness outreach agency, and he said that hours would go by of people walking by him on the street without making eye contact. That people could not even look at him. So you might not agree with me, and that's okay, because just like we said earlier, our morals and our values will not align perfectly if we've decided them for ourselves. But I've come to a place in life where it's more important to look that person in the face and to actually give them a bit of optimistic, maybe ignorantly optimistic trust in the form of $5 or in the form of the extra quarters that I have in my cup holder. Because so many people I know look at them without a second thought and say no, because they already assume how that person is going to spend the money. All right, there are two words I want to specifically hit on that I used and fell back on multiple times this season. I want to make sure I define these for you in the context of my values because I see them get misused often and sold as kind of an empty dream. The first of those is happiness. Happiness, yes. The very first thing I want you to know about happiness is I believe it's a choice. This is coming from someone who has struggled with a very deep depression, still struggles with depression trying to sneak back up on me to this day. This is someone who's been in incredibly low points as a lot of us have been over the course of the last 12 to 18 months. That time taught me that happiness is a choice because I've learned that no matter what happens in life, there's a natural flow that it's going to get more challenging as you go. I don't look at that as something to be negative about, like, oh man, I gotta worry about all this stuff when I'm 21. Imagine how bad it's gonna be when I'm 31 and then when I'm 41 and I'll probably start balding and I won't even have hair to pull on when I'm stressed. No, I actually look at this as a positive because if I look the other way, if I look back, I can somewhat laugh at what I thought were my biggest challenges and my biggest problems when I was 16, 17. I mean, when I was 18, I can honestly tell you that the biggest problem in my life at one point was worrying what people were going to say about my graduation party because I invited pretty much all family, friends, and old people, and I wasn't going to have one of those like backyard pool 200 people come to your graduation party with a DJ and their 18-year-old secretly drinking beers off to the side. That wasn't me. And that was my biggest struggle in that moment. And that's hilarious to me now. I think that pattern will continue as I go on in life. So it doesn't teach me to be pessimistic about the future. It teaches me to be more lighthearted about what's happening right here in the moment, because I know there will come a time further on down the road when I'll meet something that's even heavier that will make what I'm experiencing now seem like the perfect preparation for that moment. I mean, honestly, we've been living in a pandemic for a year and a half. So I think it's becoming quite apparent to a lot of people that happiness is a choice, that when even the entire outside world gets closed and you're just locked in your house, you can choose to find some way to find happiness in that moment. I think the key here is that happiness is in your response. Ultimately, the majority of what happens to us in life is outside of our control. The one thing we can always control is how we respond to a situation. 
And I think finding happiness, finding your own happiness, like I always say in the intro, comes from being mentally and emotionally healthy enough and in the right place to have control over your response and the challenges that will inevitably come. And not even have control that you get it perfect all the time, but that you're self-aware enough in the moments where you don't respond how you would want to, to go back and reevaluate and figure out what was driving your action in those moments. Ultimately for me, it wasn't the very rock bottom that made me shake everything up. What frustrated me the most and what made me knew I needed to make a change mentally and emotionally was the constant up and down. I found my cycle getting shorter and shorter of, oh, this makes me really happy. Oh, this has me extremely frustrated. Oh, I felt really good when I stood up and nailed that presentation. And then I was crying three hours later because my friend didn't reply to my text message. So if we can agree that life gets heavier as we go, then we can also logically agree the only way to find consistent, reliable happiness is to choose it in the way you respond. So happiness is not having a lot of money and having no worries. Happiness is not being the prettiest or the hottest or the most muscular or the best tatted or any of those things. Happiness is simply about the way you choose to respond and not allow the challenges that will inevitably come in life to ruin your plan. Next one we have is greatness. I want to start by playing this clip from a Will Smith interview. And funny enough, I've been watching this clip since I was uh, probably 14. So here goes. Greatness is not this uh, wonderful, esoteric, elusive, uh, godlike feature that only the special among us uh, will ever taste. You know, it's something that truly exists in all of us. It's very simple. This is what I believe, and I'm willing to die. Here. Now, I know what some of you were thinking right away. We can't all be great, Josh. That would defeat the purpose of being great and standing out. You like my little audience voice right there? Yes, by the world's standards, you're right. We can't all be great because the world's standards are based on fame, popularity, money, and notoriety. This is when we come full circle talking about what I mentioned at the top of the show. When you define your own values, greatness is simply living them as consistently and authentically as possible. Nothing more, nothing less. In this way, greatness is qualitative, not quantitative to me. I used to think that my greatness in life would be based on how many people were in the audience when I was speaking or how many people would read my eventual New York Times bestseller. Now I genuinely believe that if my kids, so maybe two or three people in the world if I'm lucky, are in a better situation to succeed when I die, if they had a more present paternal influence, if they learned some of the things that I learned later in life at an early age when they had the chance to make mistakes, 
if they learn to talk to themselves more positively than I did when I was younger, if they learn to take bigger risks at a young age like I wish I had, I'll die believing I was great. Greatness, even just the word, when you think about it applied to you, might make you uncomfortable. It might sound corny to say, I want to be great. But hear me when I tell you, it's in you. Now all you have to do is decide what's important. That's my time for this week. Thank you so much for listening. If this episode spoke to your life at all, share it with a friend or a stranger. Like I said, this is the last episode of season one. So we'll be off for a little bit while I fine tune some things and get working on some other content. If you want to keep up with everything that I'm working on, follow me on Instagram if you don't already, at Josh Kervanek. That's J-O-S-H-K-R-I-V-A-N-E-K. I want to send a special thank you to everyone who's been rocking with me through this first kind of pilot of a season. My one goal has been to improve each week, and I hope that's been evident from the first episode to now. This has been Dropout University, Season 1, Episode 10. I'm Josh Kravanek. Be you, be great, and until next time.